2: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Now, i add another piece of trivia to that. Yeah.
1: What?
2: The majority of chicken shop logos is designed by the one same guy no
1: way <laughs> that actually is mind-blowing what the hell so he just sits there and he has a portfolio
0: of different chicken logos can i say there are one in holborn yeah there is a chicken shop logo for a chicken cottage in holborn and it's actually banging it's very clever
1: look <laughs> L- L- i found the
2: article i found the article <laughs> no. it says meet mr chicken he's responsible for 90 no. meet mr chicken he's responsible for 90 percent of london's fried chicken shop logos no how mad Imagine
1: that. Wow. Oh, how what a legacy. Amazing.
0: What a legacy, I must say. Hey everyone, welcome back to Two Cents. Welcome back to Two Cents. If you haven't listened to one of our episodes before, it goes like this. Each of us bring two overrated subjects and two underrated subjects to the virtual roundtable, which we then unpack and debate and put out for our listeners to do the same. Um, we'd also decide like to include a trigger warning for listeners as we'll be discussing matters pertaining to sexual abuse in this episode.
2: My first overrated, you guys know I like to reference my Twitter, some of my episodes of Two Cents. Um, so last week... <laughs> well, I posted this on Twitter last week there was various uh and the week before there was various allegations um different muslim
1: men and um I just want to add there was allegations and um, admissions admissions yeah
2: yeah allegations admissions pertaining to matters of sexual abuse abuse of power sexual assault um and that those topic areas um and I woke up on Friday and I just wake up to see like another person with that's like riveted within the Muslim community particularly online has been outed for various behaviors that are damn right disgusting obviously it's getting traction it's being amplified people are various people are coming out all of that sort of stuff and I just I just looked at it and I was like I feel really tired and uh whether this is right or wrong I don't want to use my platform to amplify this and I questioned why and it wasn't because I didn't believe victims it wasn't because I didn't want to support those that were speaking out I just felt, and the thing that I tweeted was, I feel weary. I don't want to be involved in calling people to account in our communities. I want men to pick up the slack, Muslim men. And in the meantime, I will continue to focus on Muslim women creating space for us in meaningful moments. Mm. And I'm sorry if this is a cop-out, but this app will not lead to the accountability Muslim women are looking Mm. for. It will just fatigue us. It will make us angry and damage ourselves. And even like... I, and I just felt like this sense of, like, we're having to always do the work. And what's the result? Like, mm. like you know, we've seen over the years other people, Tariq Ramadan, Numan Ali Khan, people who have been, you know, outed. And, and, you know, in the case of one of them, he's admitted to it all. Do you know what I mean? And and now what? Like, now what? And I'm not trying to take away from people who are trying to amplify these things because I, I, I think we should at the bare minimum know about these things but I just I'm just like this this court of social media is not going to give us what we are trying to look for and what we are trying to seek and I just honestly on Friday I was like I'm tapping out like and and I totally understand if people like that's a privilege that's a cop-out I'm honestly
1: I'm okay with that right now I totally respect and understand why you feel the way you feel and what you think. I think what I, I think from what you've said, it's made me realize, and it's something that I've realized before, that the way Muslim men are outed on these public platforms is a symptom of the fact that within our own uh, communities, within our own structures, we do not have a a way or a body to actually address these issues. So I think, yeah, this is more a symptom within our community, where actually organisations, mosques, places where Muslims congregate are gathered, there is no due process to actually, if X, Y, Z happens, if I'm I'm harassed as a volunteer, if I'm harassed as an employee, if I'm harassed, you know, as a ustala who's given talks here, there, and everywhere, who do I go to? Mm. Who do I go to? Where am I going to be heard? And the thing is, what I think social media has done is literally Muslim women going, no one is listening to me. I don't know where to speak out. I'm going to come out here to the public, to a public platform. Um, I know now there's been an organisation that's recently come about. Is it called
2: facetogether.org?
1: yeah I still I'm not advocate of them not because I don't believe in the way I don't know what they do so I need to do a bit more research
2: from from what I understand their organization in the I'm reading from Mohammed writes Twitter who says their organization in the USA
1: see always the USA which
2: investigates and publishes reports on abuse in muslim communities and it's run by muslim religious religious leaders and a legal team people report abuse using online forms and then the organization publishes a report and he said it's needed in the uk
1: Mm -hmm. yeah it is needed in the uk you know, I'm, I'm going to be really honest here. There's a Muslim organisation that I approached um, because of the conduct of which, which later it transpired they weren't actually a stakeholder. It was a volunteer, past volunteer, blah, blah, and how they had interacted at one of our events. And looking back now, actually, the way they dealt with it wasn't satisfactory at all. Um, and I think the, one of the things was it was the wrong people dealing with it in the sense like it was, it was literally the, the people that was closest to me in proximity, the people that I had contact with. But really, there was also, it, it revealed there's no process in there. You know, Alhamdulillah, the Muslim woman who did work there, who I'm friends with now, who really kind of raised it and she championed it, but it's also not her job. Everything is a deeper problem, right? A deeper problem in fact. we don't have the structures, the infrastructure. And I think that also goes back to the fact that we don't, so you know, I get what you're saying about the social media thing, but I almost think it's like a cry out. It's like Of course, know, it, is. Of course yeah. it is, of
2: course it is, because where else are you gonna go when these mm. the own organizations and the Muslim men at large aren't dealing with it? And you know, I I remember a thread and also um Khadija's piece on uh, structural misogyny within Muslim communities and Aina Khan's piece, they all also discuss this this place where Muslim women are caught between you know, they come to a realisation where they work in Muslim organisations and they're like, actually, do you know what? I'd rather go into quote-unquote mainstream organisations, aka white-led organisations, deal with the microaggressions and things that I face in those structures versus dealing with straight-up misogyny patriarchy, backward views of women within Muslim organisations and it's like unbelievable that we're put in that situation of having mm. to choose the, the lesser of evils and mm. uh, try and understand okay which structure will at least let me climb.
1: Did you see that tweet recently now nah, how Muslim women they perform better outside of the community, they are given yeah. more opportunity
2: outside and I, of the
1: community and i, do, do I think, you have the
2: tweet to reference? no i don't but i think even when we think of like the 2 cents marriage podcast right like mm. between us three we know such incredible muslim women who are absolutely thriving in their professional careers mm. and i honestly think part of it is a big fu to Muslim men and the patriarchy and the structures of like, do you know what? Like we will not be stopped. We will seek knowledge. We will empower ourselves. We will find our own power, even if you refuse to acknowledge us for ours. Okay, so my second overrated is one of those things where I haven't fully researched, but definitely think is true um Uh. and what it is is the true, true spirit of a white man and what it is is i've been obviously the conversations about fast fashion we see them a lot now um and rightfully so and they're calling for better rights for garment workers they're calling for like stop consuming fast fashion and what i i was thinking about is that the conversation is very gendered to the consumption of women's shopping habits and I think there's the issue there because men's fast fashion exists but I've, I feel like there's a deeper thing here around the patriarchy and why fast fashion is so gendered in like understanding who the like women are women women and women's consumption of clothes is framed as the problem and i googled and yes this might be to do with my google history but again i don't think so i googled um the words fast fashion women and the stuff that comes up is like why fast fashion is a feminist issue the impact of fast fashion on women on women in developing nations um a complete list of of like fashion to avoid blah 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 and then i uh, googled fast fashion men mm. and i didn't get these think pieces mm. i didn't get opinion pieces i didn't get how like our consumption is hurting women which they are i got 20 best cheap online clothing stores for men affordable men's fashion the 12 best stores to go to blah 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 mm. and like there was definitely like a disconnect from the partic- pol- political issues of fast fashion that we see when we talk about women and fast fashion Mm -hmm. and I was talking to one of my friends Anissa about this who is actually works for a vintage um kilo cell company and because and because I was like you know is there any reading about this and blah blah blah. and she was like um and we were talking about like why is this and I was like she was like you know maybe it's also linked to the the pressure that we Women feel to always look good. And Mm -hmm. so the fast the the way the fast fashion industry is set up is for us to constantly, you know, Mm -hmm. don't wear the same dress once, twice, um, always look good on the runway, da da, -da, all of these sorts of things, right? Um, and so like I said, this is purely a hunch, but I believe it is true.
0: I I would I agree. My only rebuttal would be, and it's not even really a rebuttal, but it might be that men weigh less on the scale or fast fashion only because the demand is slightly less so and then,
2: i thought this i was like okay what does what what does that actually mean in terms of expenditure right yeah and i found an article on quartz and it says men not women are fashion's fastest growing shoppers okay. and it talks about how men's um global sales mm-hmm. is like starting to overtake the global sales okay of women. so it, but it hasn't up until this point I'm not. I can't remember what like mm. date marks
1: they put. Uh, but my, I, theory, my theory, my actually is going to sound like we hate men podcasts, which we don't. You know, I'm not advocate of men of trash at all. I'm not advocate. Neither am those. I. Neither am I. But I would not I would say is because women are more susceptible to change and adaptation and uh, women are more like, more inclined to be like, you know what? Yeah, let me get a cool wardrobe. Whereas the mandamma be like, what's the problem? <laughs> I really simplified it, but, and I think that's why, like, if you look at a lot of um, key decisions within the home in terms of spending, it will actually be targeted at women. And traditionally it was like, and then I'll speak to my husband, right? Yeah because actually women make those decisions in some homes they do have the financial power in some homes they don't but the decision often rests with them like for example like you know a lot of my friends they're the ones that are doing the, the food shop they're the ones that are doing the clothes shops with the kids for themselves even for their husbands to be honest and for themselves so those decisions rest with them so therefore, therefore I would say they have the power to affect change within that home do you know what I mean whether you're, you know, it really depends on your household, but the majority of setups, from what I've seen, the 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 power. You know, what? I'm tripping over my words. I'm tripping over my words because I'm generalising hugely, but then also I'm aware that there are families that don't follow this traditional mould where everything is piled upon just the mum, right, or just the woman in the home. The As in that she's in the food shop, she's doing the, the clothes shop, she's making all the decisions and all of that stuff. But I know it's not every home. So I just think that, yeah, we just are more woke.
2: Yeah, and, and I think I, I get, like, for me, I wanted to think about it beyond also the fact that I think the stats, like, 80% of garment workers are women. So naturally, mm. people draw a natural, like, feminist argument of like your consumption as women here is hurting women over there and so that like makes sense but then what was really interesting is there was a guy on my twitter who then said actually there's a lot of men in the supply chain that we forget about like mm. from the packers to logistic and to, who mm. are also being exploited um
1: and that's a very you know point, actually.
2: yeah and i and i was like that's really interesting because when i think fast fashion i don't think about men in the supply chain and is it that if men were spotlighted more then we would um see a a bigger like a less gendered conversation if that makes sense
0: my first overrated is the way we've been taught to read and our approach to reading in books um uh, looking forward to this one so i don't know if you guys remember a while back i sent you a link to that max joseph video um well since just before then i'd say like since the last 10 days of ramadan how to read a book it was it was just called bookstores but in in bookstores um in that video he like basically touched on everything books like he touched on how to read like um where to read like all these cultures all these approaches it was like a half an hour watch it was wicked um and like i've always really been interested in like uh, reading methodology I remember like uh, watching these lectures by Hamza Yusuf back in the day where he had like
1: yeah like, yeah
0: like they were like just, two, two part hmm? was it? Got
1: an actual specific lecture how to yeah. read yeah how he's got read.
0: yeah that's it and like he I remember being fascinated by that um that video but I didn't find any tangible tools to take away and like implement but I I found the fast. I found it fascinating that there was such a methodology and um Anyway, so this one actually was just like perfect for the layman, and I have like. I think I've done enough to implement it to be able to speak on this now. So since before Ramadan, like the last ten days, I've been reading thirty minutes a day, and it was actually part of like the oaths that I took. If you guys um, haven't listened to our last two cents episode, go back and listen to how I take oaths by Allah to keep promises to myself. Um, so. I've been reading 30 minutes a day and I've been following some of the methods that he talks about when he's spoken to people who are expert readers in that video. So there were like readers.
2: What makes someone an expert reader?
0: Well, an expert reader is someone who basically has cultivated a habit of reading that not only like functions for them, but uh, provides some of the experiences that reading is supposed to give you right so like when we think about reading and when people offer reading as a solution to maybe elevating um your in, like your language skills uh, your visual skills they also offer it as like a healthier like portal of escapism as well these are people who have like really really crafted their methods and have created something out of it so i think he spoke to the world's fastest reader and the guy literally just turns pages right but for this he just he he skims but he says that the way that we've been taught to read in schools is not how we should be reading in real life real life quote unquote and the way we now read is as if we are reading out loud and if and that made sense because when we were Mm. back at school when we were told to read there were like H. very yeah there were very few silent reading moments right and even then you would imitate how you would when you'd read to the class right it would be one by one around the round the table and you'd have to like really enunciate and you'd have to perform and you'd have to take your time and
2: and all of these can, things can I just say I I always felt quite smug when like you were getting to the end of the textbook line that you had to read out loud to the class I mean, and you <laughs> Seamlessly continued. (laughs) And the trick was to remember the last few words. And while you're saying those last few words, turn to the next one and seamlessly. And then you look around and everyone's like... And then they clock that you've moved on. There's so many...
0: (laughs) There's so many memories I have rooted in, like, reading at school. Like, even, like, the sound of, like, pages turning. Like, those very specific, like, picture books that had really thick paper. Like, it was so... But, but then I remember like the way that my teachers would read. And then I remember taking that into my home life and trying to read how my teachers would read. And it's, it just doesn't work. And so what he said was that when you skim, it's not so much that you're skimming, but you're reading fast. So what he recommends is, and this is just like a quick how-to, is that like you use your finger to, to trace the words in the line, right? And he said that it creates like a, almost a visual experience, almost like you're watching a movie. So it's, it, you don't have to sit there and process every single word, but rather you get the gist of the sentence. You, you see it in your mind visually, and then it, you internalize it um, much more effectively, which I suppose is the whole point of reading did you do it i just did it sarah
2: yeah, <laughs> oh, so my just, yeah. I'm, I'm, oh my god oh my god i don't like, know about the movie part but i definitely did get something like, growing up as
0: well i like this recurring conversation of oh yeah you know what like i read a lot but like nothing goes in i have to read the page like three four mm. times and especially if you have like a learning difficulty like i have i have dyslexia and dyspraxia it can take so long to like read things mm. and for it to process and for it to stay with me i'd never be able to recall before i go into even more detail because i think everyone should go and watch it I think it was such a wicked video i just think like our whole approach to reading um i mean specifically how we were taught to read is pro- is like is really overrated and then also in another camp of like uh being taught to consume as many books as possible for like the status effect as well yeah you um, see it on
2: social like yeah. i've so far in Six months, I've read sixty books. Yeah, and like, wow. yeah, and it's it just so makes me
1: eye rolling at that. Consume as many books as you can in the year.
2: Yeah, it, I mean, it just doesn't. It's, it's different people, isn't it? Like, it, it, different people have different priorities. like well, it, it,
0: it, I think that's the thing, though. I think there's like this dare I say it toxic book culture, right? Because it, it's almost like the amount of books you read is equated to how interesting and intelligent and and effective you are. Um and And how much you can retain in in terms of information and, you know like i reading books is something that I always felt very almost daunted by, and i I was quite a big reader when I was younger, then I drifted off and i i on full admittance full disclosure, there would be years where I would not read one book it would Same. be it would be year it would be a year of like skimming stuff online and like skimming stuff in a book and and here and there and the other just taking little bits here and there but never like sitting down and completing a book right and I think it's because I had this really heavy like like thing around it where I was like oh I can't do that I can't finish a whole book and then I can't recall it if somebody asks me about it what am I going to tell them happen because I ain't going to know you know you
2: know when people do that thing as well of like you, you can't not finish a book. If I've started a book and I don't like it, I'm putting yeah. it back, mate. Yeah,
0: a friend told me that, that like, and even in this I video, find it such think, a
2: weird, like-
0: Yeah, you, you shouldn't cult. push through. You shouldn't If you don't, yeah. it's like a movie. If you're watching a bad I'm movie, through, you switch through. it off. I'm
2: do
1: you know I'm what I find- through. My life has gone.
2: Do you know what I find really interesting? Sorry, you know how you're saying like, reading like 30 books in a year is like a testament to your intellect and how cultured you are and blah, blah. Mm-hmm like so what if I watch 100 films a year like why do you know what I mean like you you still learn a lot from films you still I, I
0: remember saying to them, I had someone look at me with the most like they looked at me in horror because I think during uni I watched like one movie a day right and yeah, on the surface, yeah and on the surface that actually sounds really sounds. like oh my god what the hell are you doing but then I, yeah. I remember saying back to them, I was like, okay, it's a movie, an average movie is like an hour, right? An hour and a bit. Um, in that time, I could be just sort of scrolling on social media. And instead, I feel more receptive to movies. I come away from movies learning so much more. Like, mm, I love movies. Okay, yeah. And I remember thinking, okay, fine. If you're watching like Trash, like if you're watching reality it's TV, that's it nothing. It's totally different. But if you're watching a movie that maybe means something to you, that has a certain message, like even the
2: creativity of it.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, like, I think it's more just about like, so on the reading thing, I think it's more just about if you have like this yearning to read, which I do. I've always, I've always, I have felt like I loved reading, but I never had a method for it that was effective, and that put me off. Then he suggests in this, I think he talks to this this really, um, famous blogger, uh, uh, wait, but why I think his name is. And, um, his, what was his name, I think his, I think his blog is called wait, but why. And he calculated that if you did 30 minutes of reading every single day for a year, you'd get through like 50 books. Right. And I was like, cool, 50 books. That's like quite an achievement, but it's not so much that I would have completed 50 books by my bed, but it's rather that I'd cultivated a habit of reading, which in and of itself is, like is so beautiful. good for you. Yeah, it's so good for you because it's actually so centering, like it's such a mindful activity. Every morning I wake up at the same time I do my 30 minutes of reading and that's the only time I focus on that. And then by gaining a genuine interest and some genuine traction, I'm able to recall it a lot better.
2: So yeah, that is... My... I, I really struggled to read in lockdown. Not struggled, but I just... I think because I I was a, I, in pre-lockdown life, I read on commutes, I read on... Think like what people would class like dead time, as a way to make that time like you thing. know it's easy easy to read for like forty five minutes on the train, and now I'm having to like intentionally carve out time in a way that I was before I was I was essentially habit stacking right yeah my thing was I get on the train so I might as well read while I'm on the train yeah 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 but now I feel like it's a distraction thing of like I get really distracted and don't just sit there and read or like I. I remember someone was saying like, if you're struggling to read, read what you want to read. Mm-mm. But, but I, I look at my, and cause I look at my bookshelf and a lot of it is like quite heavy, nonfiction learning stuff rather than wind down stuff. Um, so I think maybe it's that I need to find like more wind down.
0: Maybe like revisit, like what I'm doing is I, I have like quite a balance of fiction and nonfiction heavy stuff. Right. So I yeah. alternate my books so like right now I'm reading this really really dense really really dense read yeah like so hard for me but then I've I read something like like the equivalent to Harry Potter just before this do
2: you know what Sarah I was literally thinking should I start with
0: yeah because you like you have a love for it isn't it yeah yeah it would help for sure
2: and I literally I was like I I also really struggle with fiction, mm. because I feel like I start fiction books, and I'm like, I don't like it. Do you know what I mean? But at least with Harry Potter, I know I'm going to like it, so I'm <laughs> like, maybe if part of me is like, yeah, should I just... It's that thing of, like, you know when you want to chill and unwind from the movie, and you watch the movie that you've watched, because you're like, I know I'm going to enjoy it, I'm going to like it, blah, yeah. blah. <laughs> Major Made it
0: So my second overrated is, I don't really know how to phrase this, but... I was okay, so let me start it like this. I was watching um, Zach Efron's new series on Netflix. I was a bit what
2: skeptical.
0: is it? It's called Down to Earth, and I was a bit skeptical because it's Zach Efron. And I was like, This is a movie star doing I didn't deep beautiful thing. About... Yeah, so he's made a comeback into sustainability. And it's actually,
2: Sorry, can I just look this up, Sarah? It's actually <laughs> oh, oh, really,
0: I was, I was super dubious about it. Well, I clicked on it anyway because I was bored. And, it was actually really really good it's, it's like a lot of...
2: down-to-earth documentary
0: yeah I mean I wouldn't him oh no and I wouldn't call it a, a documentary as such it's basically like follow Zac Efron around and watch him do like really cool things and discover really cool things so they're like vlogs yeah they're based, it's basically like a vlog I wouldn't call it a documentary um um it's still quite hollywood that kind of thing it's like a, it was an enjoyable watch like I quite liked it anyway he goes around the world and he looks at like all these people doing um really cool like projects in sustainability um and the environment and um anyway there was like a common theme in that show and this other show that I watched called extreme engagement right I was just basically everything that I've been like consuming lately has got this theme of
2: like um My wedding engagement
0: no, it's it's this oh. couple. It's this Australian couple that want to get married, so they go to all of these different villages, very like all tribes around the world, and um, they go through the engagement process of uh, the eng- engagement culture. It's actually a really cool concept. So, like, they explore all of these different approaches to getting married in all of these really remote parts of the world. Like, and they're very very remote. They're not just like what anybody would know about, right? Anyway, and so like the common theme of these like two shows and like everything else that I've been consuming lately is like um like death of the community and um individualism mean, and well like as in,
2: they explore death of the community well
0: they they have it, but rather like by putting a spotlight on communities around the world I have felt death of the community back where I okay. live
2: and okay. it's
0: just tying back into like all these previous conversations we've had on like individualism and originality and an individualistic society I've also been doing like a lot of heart work recently and like it for me like the one thing that keeps cropping up is that like it takes a village and like it's not normal to be by Mm. yourself and all of these things and I think it's an even more important issue to talk about now that we're all in lockdown still well we're not really but we've all in it's still
2: like a different line yeah
0: we're teetering in and out so i was talking to somebody about um how at some point in my life i was i i felt like really really pressured to get married like really early in my 20s and that has had like such a detrimental like effect on my well-being and as we were talking they kind of offered me this thing of like the reason that it's so poisonous um it's not that you have this like fear of being left on the sh- shelf quote-unquote if you don't get married but it's more that you really really are alone mm. and it would not have been the case before so like she what was do saying- you mean as in back in the day yeah so she was saying is it's like this individualistic society that we have is as recent as like 50 years ago she was saying prior to that if you weren't married Mm. you would still have a village you would still have a family you would still have people
2: to like you'd probably even like feel like to some degree you have kids because you're like got someone else's
0: absolutely like um uh, it it was like really eye opening for me because I always I thought that this was like that the stigma around like the spinstered woman right is something that I've only ever oh, known. I've, yeah. yeah,
2: I've only ever known that. I've like imported. it was like imported from like yeah. decades of like yeah an idea that has like been like really old basically really really
0: old like it's all I've ever known it's all I've known from the movies it's all I've known from our culture um where we are in the west I mean it might have been a different experience for somebody living somewhere else in the world but from where I where I've lived that has been a fear that's been in in instilled in me from like a very young and an awareness that's been instilled in me from Mm -hmm. a very young age and um Yeah, this actually, I'm not going to go into too much detail about this now, but it goes, it like stems into one of my underrateds that I have about like, the role of women in a village and the role of women in a society, and the role of a quote unquote spinstered woman. And yeah, I think an individualistic society, a sense of individualism, is overrated there are elements of it that i think are very important things like Mm -hmm. that can induce creativity um and empowerment but i think too much of it is actually quite toxic and it's we can see that it's how it's manifested in people actually genuinely being alone and isolated in the physical sense as well
2: yeah there was there was that tweet in friday's muslim twitter and um it said oh, yeah. sometimes that caused a lot of yeah. like uh, controversy in the comments actually it did it yeah some cause someone was like um oh if you're having kids just oh yeah i saw that yeah so the tweet said sometimes i wonder what's going to happen to us childless women and okay. or who don't get married who's going to take care of us when we're older and incapable our communities rely on children to care for their parents but I see older single women basically fending for themselves but I, I feel like it's a bit unfair to be like oh if you're only having kids to look after you blah blah, blah. because I, I just feel like part of it is, is a circle of life do you know what I mean like you are cared for as a child
1: is it a fair expectation after you have children that they care and and look after you in some way it's a fair expectation
2: yeah, yeah I, I, I think it is, in the same way you spend, like, your your decades looking after your children and nurturing your children, do you know what I mean? Like,
1: but I think and, a lot of people are talking from the, the perspective of, you know, when it's actually got quite toxic yeah. and such a an a expectation from parents, like, you must serve and honour me and must, you know what I mean? Do you
2: know, I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago and she was like, we have to face up to the reality... And I've never heard it put like this, guys. And I was, she was like, we have to face up to the reality that many families see their Muslim girls as cheap labour. And, you know, when she put it like that, I'm like, wow. she's not wrong. She's mm-hmm. and, and even the way some men see women, like their future wife, as just labour for their household, like, she's, she's not wrong but i've never seen it i've never heard it like that and she was like you know that these these young girls are just a form of labor for these families and i'm like i was like yeah like some of the expectations like especially like i can only speak for south asian culture of like they i i think that's where like it it blurs the boundary of like general care for the elderly versus Mm -hmm. like you're just like a actual carer and you're Mm -hmm. expected to not only look after your parents but your Mm -hmm. husband's parents in a way that he's not expected to do Mm -hmm. and this goes beyond like oh be nice to your family and kinship and blah 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 this this goes into a realm of just seeing women again as like these these
1: mules yeah Alaykum, wabarakatuh. my overrated is actually um i always feel like we're quite thematic when we do our re- these last two we've been very very actually was it work from home sarah that we were doing the well yeah, yeah that was a complete accidental
0: yeah. themed episode even the thank
1: editorial you. on that was i use it for so, news there, sarah thank you very much yeah it was sick um so my overrated actually is again rooted in the ethical conversation and us becoming more ethical beings etc a lot of our conversations are rooted in talking about being ethical etc because obviously as muslims it is we are stewards of the earth right and how we tread on this earth is is really important it is important anyway it's important right Mm. um and i just wanted to say that starting an ethical journey with the first step being consumerism, I think is actually problematic. I think if you are beginning your ethical journey, it's not about going on Amazon and buying an ethical product to replace something that you Obviously, you can see the irony within that, right? And you can see the problem within that. I think actually buying something to, to make sure that it's vegan or this, that, whilst it's a fair step, I think it actually, you're, we're going around it all wrong. And that this is a, a warning to Where myself. Where did you buy your cloth pads from? Exactly. That's what, exactly. This is what I'm saying. and I was a reminder to myself, all because I have so-and-so products in my house that say cruelty-free, um, has the special sticker or the label about how it's been made or manufactured, et cetera. I don't think it actually really says anything about what I'm trying to uh, the fact that I'm actually trying to pursue an ethical lifestyle Mm. I think the pursuit of an ethical lifestyle starts with actually assessing your home and your like where you're at now like actually not uh, engaging in consumerism so it might be actually you feel like getting another top but actually it's sitting with yourself and be like do I need that top what clothes do I already have so I think too quickly and I see it on my Instagram like the amount of things that I sponsored posts now that are ethical things and then I click through i like oh I really want this wooden thing for my child or oh I really want that for my kid do you know what I mean and then I'm like wait hang on what what part of my life is ethical is it just the consumerism part like mm-hmm. so yeah I just think it's an easy way to come across as ethical yeah yeah Obviously, I totally think that, you know, where we put our money is... Chakras are not free from the throat. Um, Obviously, I totally think that we have power in where we put our pound. Obviously, I think that we should be putting our money to good things, but I just think the pursuit of an ethical life, it doesn't start and end with consumerism. There's a lot more other ways you can... um, Act upon it if that makes sense, and um, this is the point where I now turn it to the room and I ask Sarah and if he's for examples of that. I
0: I agree, and I I would say okay. One example I would offer up is that it it can actually be like um, uh, the best place to start is obviously like educating yourself on larger projects and and there are like more intangible places that you can start right at the beginning right that's like Mm -hmm. you could almost phrase it as being like a little bit more grassroots right but i Mm -hmm. think with the, uh, the consumerism thing i think it's the only reason i see it as being the most feasible for people as a first step is that um it's we live in a um a society of consumerism it's often our first port of call and mm. so the next time we go to purchase something which will probably be within the next couple of hours because it always mm. is um wow. it's our like yeah because that. it is yeah um i mean we would have a more informed decision and it will be making better choices. Right. The same way mm-hmm. that when you decide to change your, uh, your eating to a healthier, like lifestyle, the first thing that they encourage you to do is to make better choices. Right. So like, forget about restricting your diet, restricting your calories or anything else. It's about opting for the pepper over the chocolate bar or whatever, you know? Um, so I, I think that the the better choices in terms of consumerism is, in an ideal world it wouldn't be our first port of call but I think it it makes sense and um as for intangible things there's like energy consuming activities right so things like browsing social etc having long showers um leaving the tap running
1: you know what you just said I think that's actually prompted a thought where I think sometimes even I've had this conversation on on the podcast several times is a lot of conversation in terms of like, oh, I want to go ethical. I want to buy organic food, for example. A lot of the times we default to that, but I can't afford that. I'm not there yet. I can't afford to buy that winter jacket that's made of whatever wool. And, and I think a lot of it is often around the fact I can't afford to have an ethical lifestyle. But actually what you've just said for things like shortening your showers or you know saving your food scraps so that then you make your own compost or there's um, things that you can do in your home right now, like having a shorter shower. Actually, when you're doing withal, making sure that you fill up a mug of water as opposed to having the tap running. I I understand what you're saying.
2: Um, however, I still think, and I think your second part. I think your second part is more clear on what you're saying in terms of like, your to live an ethical life doesn't mean you have to shop. Start with shopping. Um, And my point is that, like, to buy something ethical off Amazon, yes, it's not ideal, but it's still a step to a first trade-off, you know? Like, for me to buy, for example, cloth pads, yes, ideally, I shouldn't be buying them off Amazon, yeah? But, you know, the laymen are asked to do so much, and I'm not saying that in a way of, like, just let me shop and do whatever I want, because... But I think, again, it's like you ensuring that you are doing what you can. Like, I remember someone saying the most sustainable, the the where to start with creating a sustainable wardrobe, an ethical wardrobe, is actually to start with the clothes you have. And she's basically saying, like, mm-hmm. the first step to going ethical with your fashion is not to go and buy ethical stuff. It's to work with what you've already got because that's already stuff you've got and it's not about being like they're from the fast fashion companies I'm throwing it all away for those to then end up in dump sites or shipped off to other countries and mm, to get burnt yeah. and blah 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 so I, I understand what you're saying in that like Work with what you've got, and rather than feeling compelled to go and buy stuff. That small talk episode with Huda katabi as well, where she talks about fast fashion and spirituality. Honestly, Sarah has always stayed with me when yeah. I heard her talk about how we have to question our consumption decisions in relation to fulfilling emotions. Mm. Because I definitely would like buy something because I'm like celebrating a win, or like even down to like going to see someone, so you feel like you have to buy something, like to last week I saw some friends and what I did is I grew plants over lockdown knowing that I would see them eventually and I gifted them plants and more and more what I'm trying to do is when I go and see someone you know it's so easy to buy you know flowers or a box of chocolate or something like that and I've just been questioning like is there something else that I can do that isn't isn't Flowers aren't the
1: most ethical... um, No,
0: definitely not. No, not at all. We have like
1: flowers and tulips coming from parts of South Africa. Yeah. Coming from South Africa, sorry. Or like, not everyone thinks Amsterdam. Nah, we've got flowers coming from all over the world. Mm. Yeah, And they're not the most ethical group. You know, just a a bunch of flowers we think is such a lovely Mm. gift. But what you said now, like growing your own. I quickly Googled about flowers and
2: ethical... American shoppers are expected to spend nearly two billion on flowers, most of which will be roses this Valentine's. Almost all of these roses will be flown in from Latin America, um, the world's second and third largest exporters of cut flowers after the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. Colombia is also alone shipped more than four billion flowers to the US last year, according to the Washington (laughs) Post. And Valentine's Day makes up for more than one-fifth of the country's rose growers annual revenue Um, and it talks about how um, there's the fact that the labour costs are much lower in Colombia and Ecuador and um, both countries have trade agreements um, with the US that was originally intended to give Farmers viable alternatives to coca, the plant that was used to make uh, cocaine. Um, one second, uh, and it talks about the the fact what makes them damaging is the um, transportation of them. So, thirty cargo jets fly from Colombia to Miami every day in the three weeks leading up to the to Valentine's Day. And a similar amount flight out from Ecuador, amounting to more than fifteen thousand tons of flowers delivered in less than a month. Um, and obviously, that has consequences of emissions that are coming out. And um, the International Council on Clean Transportation crunched the numbers last year and estimated that those three weeks of flower delivery flights burnt approximately approximately one hundred and fourteen million liters of fuel. <gasps> emitting approximately 360,000 metric tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. To be honest, I don't even know how big these numbers are, but they sound big. They sound <laughs> big and scary. Um, and then once they arrive in Miami, get, they get loaded into refrigerated delivery trucks because the flowers need to be uh, kept cold um and believe it or not flowers are for the most part shipped in no water at all um because of how they're like refrigerated but, and this refrigeration causes trucks to burn more fuel meaning they have greater carbon emission my god flowers are like that's just
0: one little day <laughs> in the year like imagine all the other stuff that Think goes about going.
2: christmas yeah I mean, oh, holy moly christmas so wrapping have- paper alone. Yeah. Wrapping. Yeah. I never it's knew but Anisa.
1: A, a rotated around consumerism. And like.
2: Anisa told me that wrapping paper is not recyclable because of the coating on it. And she's like, it's just imagine all the waste from Christmas wrapping paper. So, so things
0: like this, like we like.
1: You can wrap presents.
0: It is so wrong. I
1: yeah. wrap it in like newspaper so tissue. All, yeah, we we'll use that brown paper. Yeah. Or if you
2: me, wrapping paper, I just say that. Yeah. Same. Well, oh. well, well. <laughs> That was that meandered into a very good conversation. Thanks, guys.
1: So my next overrated, quick one, literally one sentence. For all of lockdown, I've not had any takeaway. Yeah, I've not ordered nothing. We ordered takeaway last week, and may I just say it was I was very dissatisfied. Yeah, I hear you, Shalou. I'm not going to name the chains, but it was the one where they do popcorn chicken and guys the minga burger literally that's what it should be called (laughs) it was so bad do you know what i ordered from the same
2: chain a couple of weeks ago and i did absolutely devoured it it was fantastic can i I loved it and i'd do it again
0: i I, actually know what i think the sweet spot here is yeah because i have also had as a as a, a takeaway addict yeah i've had similar experiences where i've ordered takeaways um during my off off oath days and it has not been, um, it has not been the welcome return that I expected. And I think that there is something in actually going and taking it away yourself.
2: It's or, true. It's true. Yeah. I will not take the slandering of these takeaway <laughs> joints because actually the problem is not with the food. Because I know what you mean. Because I've joined. I've had a couple of takeaways in lockdown. Did you have your, your takeaway and cold?
0: You know, like there's like energy, like who it is that's and delivering. Honest, and honestly, to
2: honestly, takeaway chips are not the one. No cardboard, dead. absolute cardboard.
1: Mm. You yeah. know what? There must be a guide out there for what things you should order. Like, you know, a curry, you can order a curry by takeaway, yeah. like a Thai green curry or something. Oh, yum. That will stay well. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But chips takeaway, dead. Because the thing is, this fast food is meant to arrive in five
2: minutes. And it's meant to be eaten mm. in five minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not meant to take 25 minutes. I want to be honest, as you're talking, I want to get myself some fried chicken. You have to walk to the place. You can't, you can't be ordering it on the app. It's not it's not. Acceptable. Do you know where I learned
0: that? The harsh lesson was Chinese takeaway. I have never had a Chinese takeaway that was delivered to me that I liked as much as I did when I went to collect it and brought it home. I'd say there's something different.
1: Something there's something different, in it. Yeah. And you so know, like, chicken cup. I need to be like, chicken no, shop. not sauce. Yeah. I want that yes,
2: sauce. Chicken yeah, shop. absolutely. Correct.
0: Absolutely. Can I tell you a bit of intel about chicken shops? Oh,
1: no, don't do it. You're going
0: to ruin it. The majority of them are, no, no, it's not peak, but it's just interesting. Well, it's not, it's just a bit trivial. The majority of chicken shops in London are owned by the Malaysian government. So
2: random. Right? I add another piece of trivia to that. Yeah. What? The majority of chicken shop logos is designed by the one same guy. No! That actually is
0: mind-blowing. What the hell? <laughs> so he just sits there, he has a portfolio of different chicken logos. Can I say, there's one in Holborn, yeah? There is a chicken shop logo for a chicken cottage in Holborn and it's actually banging. It's very clever.
1: <laughs> look, it look, I found the article, I found the article. <laughs> it
2: says, meet Mr. Chicken, he's responsible for 90% no! of... Oh, wait, the pop up. It's stopping for me from reading the headlines. Meet Mr. Chicken, he's responsible for 90% of London's fried chicken shop logos no how mad imagine that but sorry can i just show you the chicken shop chicken cottage
0: logo please in hoban it's really quite fantastic i mean he's
2: his portfolio you can see the progression i've actually, I've actually really heard. loved how much our conversations have meandered today that is so I'm fantastic
1: sure it, very very they're, good
2: content they're really yeah, they're all different said. types of chicken. although the Although the logos look similar in appearance, if you look at it, it's completely different. There's no interlocking chickens or halal sign and things like that. Everything's different. The majority of logos you see floating about, we came up with. I'm so... Imagine having that legacy. Wow. Oh, how amazing. (laughs) What a legacy, I must say. My first one, underrated, is the Patriarchy Spectrum. Sorry, I really started there. Wow. The patriarchy spectrum. And what I mean is in the last few weeks, we've seen a lot of male abusers be outed. I think there's often a disconnect between us seeing public figures being outed for their abusive behaviour versus that same guy who feels in entitled to a woman's labor, whether it's his wife, his sister, his mother, that same guy who does jack nothing for one, for nothing apart from wiping his own ass, is there's a disconnect between understanding those behaviors in this wider conversation about why men feel entitled to women sexually and the way that they behave on what would be considered an extremity of this spectrum, and, you know, I was talking to Selena about this as well. And she was saying how also what ends up happening is, especially if you've got women in the family, they, when they then go into the outside world, they're unable to understand that they're being disrespected. And this is not me saying like, oh, that people who get abused or people who um, are victims, there's something wrong with them. That That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying there's a disconnect and this, 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 this hurts women and girls when they are outside of their houses, whether it's in marriage, whether it's trying to find a partner or whatever it is, whether if even in the workplace, of how they've had um, behaviour modelled to them it becomes a norm and so then they're more likely to carry on within the, the next phases of their life um going through things that are just not okay right um and I just I just think that there's you know a part of me has and I say this knowing that I, sh- I probably shouldn't feel like this so please don't be horrible to me for saying this but part of me ends up feeling really it's all right, I'll be horrible to her guys part of me ends up feeling really frustrated with women in our communities who enable some of these behaviors through favoritism of boys through you know just accepting their husbands their second child as they say and through through like carry on carrying on those cycles and i understand like it's very difficult for some people to fight these battles within what is meant to be their safe space of their marriage, of their relationships and so I under but at the same time I don't want to act like women don't have agency to create change and make them like oh they're just like oppressed and things like that because I think that's also very harmful
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, so that is that's my underrated guys
1: Well, just wanted to say up I think that's a wonderful point mm-hmm. when you and me I- were having a chat about having a chat about... Sorry, I'd just like to interrupt the podcast So there will be some natural sounds of children playing in the background as I'm a mother. Please bear with us during these interruptions. Uh, They are just natural home sounds. I think what it was is, I was talking about specifically about young girls growing up in homes where the patriarchy is strong. And they're having a lovely childhood. Their home is lovely mum's doing the bulk of their work and the you know dad's working mum's working dad's financially providing mum's currently providing the labour of the whole home they then go into other settings where they see a man treating a woman a certain way and they don't see it as bad or wrong because that's the exact dynamic within their own homes and this is this is where subtle and non-overt patriarchy comes into play right and then that's where, over time, actually, how are we going to pick, like, even just a friend that's male or a spouse in time because you can't even recognize it because it's just did, your growth.
2: you know what i find really wild that like cleaning and cooking is framed as like a hobby for women like somehow that women want to do these things because we we love it and we want to care and i'm not saying that this nonsense how we're better at it than them yeah not i think them. that's absolute b- uh, it's such absolute b- like, I, am, I feel so angered when I hear the argument of like, oh, but he
1: just doesn't do it as, as good as I will do it. Yeah, because he's been damn lazy, because that's the patriarchy. You know, it's actually mad. The thing is, the patriarchy is that which benefits man, right? And it benefits him to the point of comfort in many areas in his life, which means he won't call it out, no matter, wait for this, how good a person he is. Because it serves the nafs of a man. And we have a traditional view, or many of us do, of the marriage story. Women in the kitchen cooking for family, husband sitting on the sofa relaxing with the chills playing around. There isn't anything wrong with this image, is there? But consistently over time, we also, as women, become enablers to this behavior. The man sitting back. The woman crafting. And we begin, and this is the dangerous bit, to expect very little from them. Because the contribution of the home, because, uh, contribution in the home, because yeah. the financial contribution somehow erases everything out. It's like a get out voucher for anything and yeah. everything. It's like oh, you've had, had a hard
2: day at work, so you're, you now stop.
1: Yeah. My whole labour, and I mean the physical labour of birthing a child, should mean that I never actually lift a finger for the family. This is going to sound mad, but kills women. We become mm-hmm. emotionally weak due to exhaustion, physically weak, financially weak, and mentally then, passive, Mentally passive, and then to have nothing left to actually speak up against the patriarchy or for our rights. First hand, even our children suffer because of it. The example we set them to what we, it, this is the example we set to them of what we expect from man. The example set to them on what it is to be a man. It is a cycle or what I've seen with this generation, you have women who never want to marry, because they see the negative side of marriage, or that all they see is mm-hmm. an exhausted mother raising them in a wobbly marriage. Mm-hmm. Now we all have been, haven't have been raised to perfection, I get that, but some things are inherited again and again through generations, are more toxic as decades progress. I feel the world, as the world changes. Women's dreams and ambitions and purpose are consistently over decades squashed, yeah? Mm-hmm and ultimately even when we have the time and we are given the time we're too tired in every way to even take opportunity from it
0: shiloh that message is like that was incredible oh. but,
1: th- but this is why this is why i feel like you have to create your boundaries follow me on instagram i've got a highlight which says patriarchy pains and it has sisters who dm'd like their situation and solution Another thing, your man does not help you with the housework. Your man does not help you look after your children. Bye-bye.
2: Okay. Um, so my s- uh, second and last underrated is um, of the same sort of conversation, but a different industry. <laughs> um, so a couple of weeks ago, Sharma Dean Reed, who is the founder of Beauty Stack, she is someone who I have really admired throughout my own journey of building a business. And she published an article titled the unpaid labor of female founders. It's a fantastic, it's a fantastic read. Um, And this article actually made me put my Instagram on private as soon as I read it. It was something I'd been mulling around already. And then I was just like, you know what, this is it. My Instagram is on private, but I accept people by membership only. (laughs) And she she actually talks about what we've just been talking about, of the general unpaid labour of women. Mm -hmm. Um, And she puts some stats of like women carry out at least two and a half times more unpaid household and care work than men and she talks about the differences in developing countries and developed countries Um, and so it's really interesting and then she talks about unpaid labour of female founders Um, and what she says is that as a female founder there's a gendered form of work that is required in the role of a brand ambassador a cmo chief marketing Mm. officer and a company therapist and she says where where in larger organizations these roles would be split across several experts and i actually she says company therapist but i think in our context this extends to community therapist Mm. and i think there's this thing of like women the reason women female founders feel compelled to be brand ambassadors is you have to look like you're you know she calls it this halo effect that then impacts on the the business right and she's she talks about how um what this then does is it puts the business at risk because businesses don't get cancelled but people do like cancel culture happens to personal public personas and um she says, if you take away your brand ambassadorship and the, the, then that mob has no access to you. Mm. And th- again, like this is how like the the impact of gender impacts on business. Like when you look at a uh, organization like The Wing and how they are so publicly scrutinized and they are so publicly... Um, sort of investigated and talked about versus an organization like WeWork right Mm. when politicians Diane Abbott dragged yeah exactly and so when you look at when you look at an organization like The Wing even the way it's talked about is the way the founders are spoken about as Mm. women versus WeWork is spoken about as an organization rather than its founders and yes you can say oh but we work it's it's worth more and the valuation is higher and blah 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 but I, it is definitely a, a bigger problem and she talks about how this takedown of female founders stops other women wanting to start a business because you feel like you have to be public and have this public sort of accessibility to you yeah. to build a company and she talks about how we must allow women to build companies and fail quietly with the same frequency and fervor as men. Mm. And I, this, honestly, this made me put my Instagram on private just because I, the context of this was a couple of weeks prior. I had this account. It was a Muslim woman um, who was just like consistently tweeting about me and saying things about me in relation to trying to essentially drag Amalia, right? And I just thought like, I, I was like really mulling it over and I obviously I I didn't feel nice you know it was a horrible feeling and now I'm like totally she was 100% projecting whatever was going on with the situation she was talking about onto me but at the same time I'm like that's one of my friends said the reason she feels like she can do that is because she feels a proximity to you in the way she might not just to someone else right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I just I also realized that like heart like more my instagram and my twitter because twitter's like less visual more wordy more like random thoughts whereas instagram i feel like is a bit more private
1: mm-hmm.
2: um or a bit more personal like, life
1: yeah it's lifestyle section
2: and i just had this feeling of like actually people aren't entitled to me they're not entitled to my dms they're not entitled to, to me. my yeah they're not entitled to what i do and what i say and you know like someone like sharmadeen she's taken away the ability for you to reply she's always had this for a long time to reply to your stories and i constantly reiterate on my socials that like this is this is an, is an extension of work for me like it's a way mm-hmm. for me to get my work out there it's not me being my my like personal private self and You know, I think, you know, she talks about a company therapist, but I, I, you know, me and Selena do get a lot of DMs and things that I just, uh, uh, we're expected to deal with in a way that, you know, for example, Selene from Muslim Vibe probably isn't, do you know what I mean? and I, I'm not, I don't want to come across like, oh, don't DM me, don't talk to me, blah, 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 because I, again, like I've benefited from social so much, and I love the conversations I have with my DMs, and the, the, it's, it is definitely a minority of people who overstep the boundary, and almost use us as a place to offload, mm. and a play, and I get it, because, you know, we have two cents, we're very honest, we're very, very open, we talk like honestly and so you know I can imagine people build a picture of of you know these female founders in their head of relatability of and I totally get it I totally get where it's coming from or even sometimes it's this thing of like you're able to go and talk to someone you don't know because there won't be a judgment in the way that there would be with your friends um but I I definitely would uh read that article of the unpaid label of female founders by Shamadeen Reed because yeah it gave me a lot of food for thought on my own socials and like wanting to have that privacy. I just think with social media people think you're there you know it's a right to follow you and people also said oh but what if someone's just starting out on social? And I said that's fine, but following me is not a right. You know, I'd really, really um encourage even if you're not a founder, even if you're not running a business go and read the article because it's still enlightening in terms of what is expected of women
0: so um my first underrated for this week is istakara i don't think istakara is underrated but i think just like maybe how we use it i watched um actually i attended a webinar yesterday or the day before with saheb webb
1: for, on these uh, webinars <laughs> yeah, um
2: with el barouge press and um oh I haven't had Alboruj in time though. in time
0: yeah but so yeah throwback. yeah and he but so he's always like he's loyal to them like he always comes through <laughs> with them anyway so he did it on Ispacara and it was like a Iskara workshop and I'm always interested in Iskara because um it's something that I don't really have as part of my lifestyle don't really know how to use it I mm. fall in and out of using it for pivotal like milestones in my life and I I'm interested in making it a part of my daily routine. Right. And something mm. that spurred that was actually, we reached out to somebody to do an Instagram takeover and they responded. By saying, yeah. They responded by saying, I'm going to do a stakara on it. Yeah. And there's one other person I've known like that in my life, but I never, I didn't take note of it at the time. And, um, and I just thought it was really interesting. Like it, I know of the concept of consulting all this for everything. I just didn't think mm. it could get as granular as that or people exercised it as much as so i was like how do i do it anyway so i took a couple of notes um during the um webinar that i thought would be interesting to share and i, I basically my overarching underrated here to to simplify it is that uh we should be using it for the most granular of things in our mm. in our lives we should be consulting allah for everything and it can be as simple as a du'a although Typically, and there's like lots of information on how to do istakara but he simplified it and said, typically it's turaqa with a dua at the end, and it can be in any language that you want. And the dua is, "Oh Allah, if it is good for me, keep it for me; make it easy for me. And if it's bad for me, keep it from me. And if and and when you say me, it's for my hereafter and my livelihood in this life. And you can put a bunch of other like conditions on that
2: as well. Last week, I basically shared the istakara dua on my Instagram. Um, and it it says like the whole oh um, oh you've like um you've used gold sellotape to bookmark the leaves that's so nice that's so different. She did that in Ramadan and that is. I was like Do you know what I'm gonna make my fortress of Muslim have piece gold of art in it. that is a piece yeah. of art sis very nice thank you thank no you. worries
0: no worries well yeah like it is such a like kind of slept on like part of our islamic lifestyles to be honest like it's, it's virtually unheard of especially in my personal circle to be doing it as frequently really like, yeah it is like whenever i have heard about doing istikharah it's always been in the context of these really pivotal masters and never for anything else yeah so um i think like it, a couple of interesting things he said um in that istikharah workshop was he started it off saying like uh use used this this kind of like uh pull it out of the tool bag um like kind of dua and because we have that relationship with it at least this was my own projection of what he was saying like is it like and was he
2: saying it was like the end of the line
0: he didn't he didn't say those words but the way that i kind of interpreted what he was saying was is that it is end of the line like it's the last kind of uh, resort in that he said um that society has forced us to want what's more than normal and more than we deserve and i don't think that's to say what he was saying was that uh we're not we have a cap on what we think we deserve ultimately that's for allah but we don't really factor that in when we're making the du'a of sakara it's more like you know we're entitled to an answer we're entitled to guidance we're entitled to clarity we're entitled to almost the thing that we want to happen as well i think it's really easy to fall into the trap of just like um I don't I don't quite know how to explain it but it's almost like uh thinking that you it's almost because you treat it as like a last minute thing um consulting allah it's almost like there is there is an arrogance in that so it's like mm. to to understand that you're seeking power from the ultimate power to so almost knowledge. like
2: to oh i'll just seal the deal
0: yeah exactly and to seek knowledge from the ultimate benefactor of the benefactor of knowledge and then to manifest that is to do it for the most granular of things in your day my second underrated is um, feminine energy which we talked about in our last working from home episode so I'm not going to go into like too much detail because we discussed it at quite a bit of length in the other one but I'm going to talk more specifically about the book that I'm reading
2: the um, other one is the work from home podcast if anyone wants to go and listen
0: um so And this tags onto the overrated that I um, uh, put forward earlier in this episode, which was about like the role of women in villages and in communities and in societies. And um, so there's this psychologist, she's from the Jungian um, psychologist camp called Clarissa Pinkola Estes, Estes, I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name. And um, it's, the book that she's written is called Women Who Run With The Wolves. And it's like this huge cult following and it's supposed to have transformed like loads of women's lives, etc and um there is just this whole world of like the feminine quote-unquote psyche that i never knew existed for for me so many times in my reading around the book so many women have said like i wish i had this in my teenage years i wish i had this much earlier in life i wish i knew this bit about myself um and because i'm only a quarter of the way into it i've done the reading around it seen what other women have said and i'd like to like i'll post this article in the editorial as well but there's this um writer for uh, medium.com called eleanor Le- lemon leman man um and she's written an article called uh 13 reasons why you should read women who run with wolves instead and i'm just i, gonna want, li-
2: I want everyone to say my name like that Nafisa Bakar, he's a i see it To encapsulate,
0: yeah, to encapsulate what this book is about, I'm just going to reel off the 13 reasons. Uh, Number one, over-civilization is the death of the soul. And you can kind of take from that what you will Mm -hmm. at this point. Number two, trust your intuition, not the wicked stepmother. Okay. And when you read the book, you'll kind of understand because she gets through these messages in a really amazing way by explaining them through all of these old fables all of these wild woman fables right there's been the stereotype of the wild woman that we've all come across in popular culture at some point whether it's like mm. the Loloba woman in the simpsons movie or like that like eccentric um gray-haired woman living in a hut in the forest or whatever mm. um the third one is don't trade your soul soul for safety that is really like in line pretty
2: much with everything we've been talking about in this podcast can I read the list of what she lists as safety Sarah yeah because I'm just on that she says we often choose the safety of a stable job socially accepted lifestyle and a financially securing ma- marriage over making that wild dream of ours come true
0: yep and like she goes into in-depth i really just think
1: people are not ready to listen to this podcast (laughs) honestly
0: it's dead four surrender to your higher power it knows where to lead you
2: sarah one more it says naive and easily impressed the little girl exchanges her handmade red cheese for the comforts and security of having a rich patron you will not believe some of the one-liners in this book Actually, you know what? Instead of me
0: reeling off the rest of the list, let me just pull out two quotes that I really loved from the book. And then you guys can go and do...
1: Go to Amazon to buy it. So the first- I feel like number four you should read,
2: though. What was number four? Because it so, is in-, in touch. Yeah, so
0: surrender to your higher power. It knows where to lead you. Um, but that, I, I don't want to go into that too much because it talks about the actual fable that Clarissa talks
2: about. So, so is the Medium article like the skim of it? it is yeah and it's like the reasons
0: that you it it covers the topics that clarissa uh, talks about and it and it what what
2: addiction to daydreaming brings death
0: yeah yeah it's so mad like guys when i tell you the revelations i've had so far like i don't want to go like all really crazy woo-woo on the podcast but like no but you know what that one you
1: just read that what you just read i have sisters who are trying to escape their reality daydreaming by like you know, you can tell because when we speak, right, some of our experiences or advice is grounded in reality mm-hmm. and some is grounded in, what's opposite, uh, ideality. Like yeah. the ideal, if I was just this, if I was just yeah. that, then this wouldn't happen, right? But Shilu, the, the really interesting thing
0: about that is that females are taught that to daydream at a young age as a means of escapism and, and as a means of cultivating idea, like the ideal. Do you know what? That I believe that because
1: when... they they say girls are better imaginary play blah 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 boys they're more into STEM and all of this stuff if you go to the children's play museum in um where's near UCL now where's UCL Houston yeah Houston there was an exhibition on play and they had uh, dolls houses dolls houses were created to prepare young girls to become housewives
0: Yeah, yeah yeah I remember reading that somewhere it's totally mad and it goes
2: back to this thing of like are you raising a young girl or are you raising someone to be a wife yeah a a piece of labor
0: right and this is what clarissa talks about is that this wild woman that we all have within us and this duality that we have within us as women which is unique to women has been completely suppressed um so these are my two uh favorite quotes the first one is the doors to the world of the wild are few but precious if you have a deep scar that is a door if you have an old, old story, that is a door. If you love the sky and water so much you must almost cannot bear it, that is a door. If you yearn for a deeper life, a full life, a sane life, that is a door.
2: The quote I read to Shiloh was, go, go out in the woods, go out. If you don't go out in the woods, nothing will ever happen and your life will never begin. Okay, It's, hard. it's a hard
0: read, guys. I, I'll give you that, but it's well, well, well worth the read. So the last quote that I wanted to read off of the back of that is... Um, It makes utter sense to stay healthy and strong, to be as nourishing to the body as possible. Yet I would have to agree there is in many women a hungry one inside. But rather than hungry to be a certain size, shape or height, rather than hungry to fit the stereotype, women are hungry for the basic regard from the culture surrounding them. The hungry one inside is longing to be treated respectfully, to be accepted and in the very least to be met without stereotypes.
1: Preach, sister, preach!
0: And the whole book is about how to access it, it's wicked.
2: Fun, bloody, tastic. Thank you very much.
1: Fantastic. What's underrated is learning um, Islam from sisters, from women. And this isn't me, before everybody starts uproar, this isn't me saying not to listen to men. What I'm saying is if you have only learned the religion of Islam, through the lens of men then you really need to this is a this is a alert to men and women who are learning about the dean check yourself and don't come with me don't come to me with there's no female speakers there's no women that i can learn from all of this nonsense just go to youtube there's enough speakers that are women out there yeah there's enough ustadas alimas um your local halakha group and I'm not just talking about Osadas, Alamas, Shakers, the rest of it. Like, who are you learning, and who do you rate, right? Mm-hmm. And that might actually be just a friend that you're sitting with in a circle, and it's, it's the three of you, it's the two of you. Because too many times, I've, I've, I've been in this experience. where I've said something to somebody about the dean, and when they've heard it from a man, suddenly it's, it mm-hmm. is worth more. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so village really auntie says not, this. Yeah, village answer says this. So I was on her course on the weekend, right? Um, pilgrimage to the soul, and we were talking about and the fact that I know she doesn't regard herself as an alama, a Alamaya shaker, or whatever, but yeah. I would call her Ustada right now because the fact that I'm learning from her, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm learning Islamic knowledge from her, right? And I just started to think about people who've only ever learned the deen from men. And again, I'm not saying you can't learn from the man, learn knowledge, isn't it? Acquire knowledge, learn knowledge, but And it's something that is part of our deen. Make sure you're learning also from sisters. Because I think it's a very different lens. Like, For me, when when a a brother is talking to me about parenthood and Islam and about what the Quran says about um, parenting in Islam, trust me, there's a big difference between him telling me about parenting and motherhood mm. versus a sister telling me about motherhood. And she doesn't necessarily have to experience it because this is one thing the village auntie said as well, we are all mothers where, whether we have labored children or not. And I think, you know, and I've seen it and I've, I have always learned about parenting from men and women, right? But I have seen a distinct difference in the way that women pull out the stories from uh, the, the Sira, from the Quran, and the lessons versus a man. And I'm going to say that it's inadequate. Mm. It's, he can relay the history. He can definitely tell me like, about the story and the detail and the historical facts that are really good, excellent. You know, mashallah, like, the brother has done his research. But, and I think there's a big difference. And I'm not going to go as far as to say that your deen is deficient if you've never learned from a sister, but your deen can be a lot more if you learn from sisters as well. Mm-hmm. So, and I wasn't really going to do a, like a bait post on like, these are the 10 speakers you need to listen to or hear them. But I had to do it because I realised that people were trying to give me same two old names. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we're still in 1992. Like there's so many amazing speakers now, like Dr. Fatima Jackson. I'm in awe of her. She's actually, um, she is in the field of science. If you were to YouTube her, find her. She talks more about like science, but she has done one particular talk about um, yeah about um, okay but anyway i am going to actually create an article and an editorial because i've asked on my personal stories for people Why? to recommend speakers some of these oh, scholars does. they've done talks like decades a decade ago right they exist they have always existed but they're just not as platformed mm-hmm. We go to the same old you know mashallah of the brothers have built a, a massive following a massive platform but we need diversity in, in the teachers of our dean absolutely this one's a quick one is i think what is underrated is consistency over a long period of time mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I think sometimes when we approach things like, oh, I need to do this consistently, we think of doing either every day, every week or every month, right? But actually consistency might be every single year you do, like we have consistency in our Ramadan, we do it every single year we don't do it every single month we don't do it every single you know whatever it is but there is a consistency in that even to do something on a yearly basis and I think that also gives you a long-term view of your life it might be like you know enough I was thinking about you know when you um, did the cycling then you did then we did the marathon and
2: surfing. I think you know
1: that's consistency like actually surfing having a different challenge every year for example is yeah. you consistently testing yourself and actually you might only have the capacity you might only have the capacity to do something like that once a year mm-hmm. right or even like some people they you know mashallah they be, were ble- they're blessed to go to umrah every fa- every year in fact actually what if you turn that into every 10 years or what there is is still an element of consistency and that thought came from the fact that me and the kids Keep going to this local park, Stroke Forest, but we weren't going every week, and neither we were going every day. But it has been a feature of our lockdown for the last mm. three months, and as a result, the kids have seen the flowers, the blossom grow from blossom to um, fruit now. So they're seeing apples. The apples aren't quite ready. Um, Naf keeps laughing at the little musical thing in the background, isn't it? The constant presence of my children. So they've seen the blossom then they've seen the little fruit coming now they've seen the apples apples look ripe and ready to eat but if you eat them they're very sour so they have to wait again and I think that's just nurtures such a beautiful understanding of patience so yeah consistency I think sometimes we try and talk about consistency like with us and once we program the system every day I shall do this it's cool if you miss it like one or two days here or a week there it's okay and, and I think that's it. something you have to tell yourself because sometimes I say to myself I'm consistently going to go for a walk every single day you know what I, I did not go for a walk for three days last week because it was raining and I didn't I feel like it's it having,
2: okay for me I've realized it's having more of a year yeah like year to year long view so like when yeah. I started taekwondo there have been moments where I haven't done it for two weeks or blah blah, blah. and but actually I've been doing it over the last three years you know And even like I start in during middle of lockdown, I started doing yoga every day. And then like, for example, Tuesday, I did a really intense workout. So I didn't do yoga on the same day. But I would like to hope that in a year's time, I can say I've done yoga over the last year, Mm. right, you know, and I think it is giving you yourself that level of flexibility of consistency doesn't have to be a scheduled, um, like calendar
0: i'd say that that's quite a healthy approach even for like our religious um Mm. uh, like ibadah as well because i think something that's going back to what um the the workshop i had with sahib he said something about compulsion uh, and how like certain like if you practice um a certain ibadah every day you have to be really careful to Mm. not make it uh give yourself some like uh give yourself compulsion so that you feel it i think he said it can go as far as like it lending itself to a certain Degree of OCD, right? So, like, can I often think like habits and goals and that whole like um, space is is kind of riddled with that, like, that uh, side effect of like there's a toxic culture, yeah, because like, yeah. it, and it can have it like a twofold effect it can either paralyze you out of doing something or it could reel you in so much so that you feel unhealthy for not having practiced it that day, for example, yeah. So, yeah. I'm actually going to go
1: as far to say a lot of the secular chat around consistency is, is quite toxic because and especially I think with wow. uh, me and Nafisa being in the startup scene for the last few years some of it some of the stuff that I've read is felt quite pressured like mm. every day you must get up and do yoga and do this and if you don't you're a failure mm. you know they don't say you're a failure but you might as well implied, class yeah. yourself as one well. yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's definitely implied so, yeah, that was a lesson that I learned. You know, consistency isn't just this linear path. Like when you look at athlete, an athlete will say, Oh, I've been doing um, taekwondo, I've been, do- I've been running for 10 years. You ain't been running 10 years every single day. Like, calm yeah. yourself. Been running 10 years, you know, on and off I mean, or they this, don't that, imply so.
2: that. They do mean they've been doing it over 10 years. Look.
1: I know, I, I know, but I'm just saying I'm consistency, them, isn't it? Have mercy oh, yeah, with yourself. <laughs> um that's it. I
0: loved it. Fantastic. Wow oh, wow. wow.
2: I-